I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you for listening to this Last Blast podcast by The Intercooler. Now, before we get started, I just want to take a moment to thank Footman James for sponsoring Last Blast. As you know, at The Intercooler, we only partner with like-minded organizations, with companies that we think really understand what it means to be a car enthusiast. Footman James fit into that perfectly. I know this because when talking to them before making this recording, they said to me, please don't talk about car insurance, which I think says a lot. So instead... I'm just going to give you a couple of reasons why Footman James is different to other car insurance companies. Coffee and Chrome, for one thing. That's Footman James' regular car meet. It's free to attend once you're registered. It's where hundreds, if not a thousand, car enthusiasts get together with their classics to enjoy and share their passion for cars. Footman James also publishes its indicator report. It's a thorough analysis and a detailed report into the state of classic car ownership in this country. The point is to promote and safeguard the future of classic cars in the UK. So there you go, two good reasons why Footman James is different to other car insurance companies. So thank you, Footman James. Go and visit footmanjames.co.uk. You're listening to The Last Blast podcast by The Intercooler. Hi everyone, Dan Prosser here with a 15-minute extract from the final, the sixth and final um, episode of season one of Last Blast. In this week's Last Blast, I uh, talked to car designer Ian Callum. This is the first one that I've done. Um, my colleague Andrew Frankel has done the other Last Blast podcast this series. Um, and as you may well know, Ian Callum, I mean, apart from being the perfect kind of guest for Last Blast, given his uh, car design CV, his portfolio, his experience, everything he has to say about car design. He's also a TI contributor. He writes for us. Um, So, I mean, he is the ideal Last Blast podcast guest. Um, And having done the interview myself, I can tell you that he's really 
uh, honest and open and chatty and interesting about car design. And he talks about the highlights of his career, things like the Aston Martin DB7 um, and several of the other Aston Martins he designed, also his work at Jaguar. Um, And even before that, um, when he was working at Ford, um, he's, he's just a great guy and a true enthusiast. You'll get that impression right away when he tells you what his first company car was at Ford when he was just out of college. Um, the full thing is an hour long. If you want to listen to the full thing, head over to the Intercooler app or the Intercooler website, the-intercooler.com. You will need to be a TI subscriber. Um, but for now, here's a 15-minute extract from our Last Blast podcast with Ian Callum. Were you brought into Jaguar with a remit to modernise the appearance of the cars? No, I wasn't. I, I, I'd lived with Jaguar in my younger years, understanding XJs and Mark IIs and E-types. I knew their place in the car world at that point. And yes, they were British, but also they were very modern. The XJ in 68 was an incredibly modern car, and it drove like a modern car. And um, I had to get that back into that focus that Jaguars are not about the past. They're actually about the future. They're about being brave. They're about being different. Uh, but they're also about being beautiful and 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 performance cars. And I had a very clear remit in my own mind, so I was quite bullish about it. <laughs> I got into trouble. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. I mean, perhaps it wasn't the remit that was handed down to you, but you clearly wanted to evolve Jaguar's design language at that time. The, the XK uh, and the XJ in particular, a very modern piece of design, um, and do you just have to accept that you're going to be met with resistance and charged through anyway? Uh, well, it was something after working in TWR where I, I, I was, you know, hidden away. I suddenly found myself in the front line and I had to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to, to, to present, you know, and this is something that I, was very, very difficult for me. But also what I did learn was to explain why I wanted to do certain things. Designers always can be a little bit ethereal, you know, I, I, I hear it all the time. Oh, come on, give us a break. Just tell it as it is. Stop giving us all this sort of, you know, flowery stuff. And so I'm very down to earth in that respect. But what I did learn to do was to, to, to explain to my management why certain things have to be, in my mind, the way they are and give them good reason for us and understanding it. And... That was that 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 led me a long way actually. If you t- if you turn around, to, I remember saying to Mark Fields once, you know, I said, "Why are we looking at XK?" And he said, "Why is that line?" I said, "It's intuitive," and he blew me apart, you know, in front of everybody as these execs can do. And uh, he said, "Don't get me, ex- you know, um, intuitive. I don't understand intuitive." So I went home with my tail between my legs, feeling very hurt and. And, um, you know, I thought, what do I do now? So just learn to explain, Ian. So I went through various phases at Jaguar like that. Learn to speak, learn to explain, learn to play with the politics, learn to keep the boss happy without doing what he wants, you know, do what you want. It, it was just, it's just a game that you learn. And it's like that in many things in life. And is it fair to say then that given all those lessons learned, you produce some of your life's best work? During that Jaguar era, F-Type, I-Pace? I-Pace, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. But the uh, yeah, part of it was, though, I, I surrounded myself with a great team of people. 
you know, and I became a director rather than designer. I'd still sketch every day and have designers come and say, look, I want something like this or, or like that. And so I still had a vision. I never let go of the vision in my own mind, but I just had to then translate that through the team so that I directed them rather than, and of course, a lot of them were very talented and they came with me. So that's part of it. Yeah, so if you include my team, yeah, I think some of the best stuff, absolutely. Right, even right to the very last one, which you will never see. <laughs> but tell me, tell me then about the CX seventy five, which for a while looked like it may well make production um, as a, a very exclusive hypercar, um, and sadly never did. It was celebrating next year fifteen, XJ thirteen, XJR thirteen was it XJ thirteen, the sports car, and we wanted to do something which really celebrated the seventy five years of Jaguar. Of course, designers default to that that sixties race car, and so. Um, Julian and I put the team together to come up with something that was very pure. And to me, just state the obvious. Just do something beautiful. Don't try and be clever. Don't try and be quirky. Don't put funny surfaces on it. You know, don't put too many lines. And of course, part of my job at this point was I'm an editor. You know, I'm editing things all the time. Take that off, take that off, and honing it to a sense of purity. And the 675 was a perfect example of that. And, and we did it within design. There were no outside constraints. There were no marketing constraints, engineering constraints. And uh, it, it, made with, it met with such a, an enormous sense of approval at the Paris show when we launched it. You know, Ralph felt this need to, to investigate building it for, for real because he, he realized, unfortunately it didn't prevail, but, you know, what that could do for the brand as a car would be enormous, you know. People talk about Jaguar, they think of CX-75, you know, being bigger and better than any Ferrari or Aston or anything. Um, sadly, it, 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 it got halfway through its development. And then for a number of reasons, part was lack of confidence and volume and part was the money was costing. And, you know, it was, it was shelved. Built five cars and that was it. Very sad. That was a sadness I felt because... Why? Because it wasn't a personal thing. It wasn't, oh, they've taken my baby away from me or anything like that. It was what it would have done for the brand. It would have lifted it up so high. Sure. You know, and um, that was an opportunity lost. So you mentioned that you just wanted to design something beautiful. And I actually, my heart sings when I hear a car designer say that because I have a theory that there are other car designers out there working these days who have decided that beauty is not enough anymore and they have to be controversial or challenging. Um, do you see any of this, or have I got that wrong? No, I see it all the time. It's frustrating. Um, you know, but I, I know the problems that they're facing. They've got a set of metrics they have to deal with, you know, and the silhouette of that car they're designing is set up by a whole bunch of people who are measuring other cars, who are saying this is where the height is going to be, where the tail's got to be, this is the size of the lamps, this is blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. And what we used to do, what Julian and I used to do at Jaguar, We'd, we'd challenge those metrics, you know? And, of course, I'd tease some of the guys that come in and say, well, your roof is five millimetres too low. i say, yeah, but I've got the clay model. <laughs> <laughs> that was always a little frustrating. So we have to go through these moments of negotiation. And that's, you know, I said, Jaguar, you have to remember, Jaguar is all about proportion. And, of course, these other brands have got the, the, the luxury of doing their sedan, which can be very – and then they do the coupe version as well. We didn't have that luxury. But all the coupes that these guys are now doing is what Jaguar would do in its normal state. But a lot of people didn't agree with that. But what I see, sorry, I'm digressing, but 
what I see now is I think they're, they're stuck with a set of givens and all they've got left is the stuff in between. Uh, and they, they kind of overplay it. Yeah. Because they've got a clay model. And, and, and to my view, somebody's not editing this stuff properly. You know, you let a 25 year old free in a clay model and he'll have a lot of fun with it, like, like, a, like a sand pit. <laughs> at some point, you've got to smooth it out. You know, you've got to clean it up. You've got to take stuff off. I don't mean that, you know, a lot of very good 25-year-olds, better than I am, but but it's just about discipline. Sure. And, you know, I look back at it sometimes and I think, well, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. You know, I'm just not getting it. And I accept that as part of the part of the problem. Um, so let's let's have your sixth and final car then. Well, we've touched the, the I-Pace. Yeah. Because for me, it was a moment the future started. And the opportunity with it was something that I grabbed with two hands and, and said, right, we're going to... And do you know what was nice about it? Nobody was looking. This was something the company decided it had to do, it had to embark on this electric car journey. And, you know, people say, oh, Jaguar's going to be electric. No, it was decided then that Jaguar would be electric. And then we're talking about seven or eight years ago now. You know, we're gonna, when we did CX-75, Jaguar decided, well, perhaps our future is electric, or at least hybrid. So it's nothing new, really. But... But the eye pays an opportunity to, to, to take a hold of the package and design it as a designer's car and not as a result of all these metrics coming in to say, what. Well, of course there are constraints, there are crash requirements and all these, all these good things. But, um, uh, but the fact nobody was really looking, we have to do this car, so just go and, go and get on with it. And um, I decided to just completely turn it on its head as much as I could and cab forward... I always dreamt of doing a cab forward mid-engine saloon car. <laughs> wow. I can't do that because there's pedestrian, there's 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 occupants where the engine would be, so it doesn't really work, does it? Um, but that's what was in my mind, you know, something that was a bit more exotic than just a long bonnet and a cabin at the back of it, and uh, and we got away with it. And I see them today. I still get a buzz out of them. I think uh, I still think they look pretty cool. They do. It's like a for this, the waistline above. It's like a coupe, and below, it's like a an SUV of some kind. It's you a, know, I would challenge with the Aero. I had a square square back, which is what good for Aero. A tall back, and you know, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, that's not going to be like a Jag if you do that." No, we'll just it, it it will become what it is, you know, and vice versa. Don't worry about it. Just make it a beautiful square back, and it'll work. Just make sure the lines are exaggerated. You know, let's. Let's let's put lots of shape into it and movement, and it's really like an F type back to front, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it was the opportunity that electric cars brought, and I had two or three of them, and I love driving them. They're great fun to drive. Are the constraints fewer with an electric car? I, I think they can be. Yeah. But now more and more people are getting involved with them. The constraints are starting to build up, you know, and right. of course the cash requirements are not going to get any easier. So the idea of shorter bonnets may be a little difficult, but but yeah, fundamentally, if you think all your mechanics are buried between the wheels, almost at, at not to say ground level, but pretty low down, there's nothing above that, and everything's joined by wires, not drive shafts and yeah. you know uh, stuff like that. So yeah, there has to be a lot more freedom, definitely. It's a problem for sports cars because you're sitting on a, in most cases, you're sitting on a skateboard which takes up height. Yeah. But, you know, we'll find ways around that. We'll put the batteries somewhere else. You, you talk with a lot of fondness for some of the work you were able to do at Jaguar. Um, 
But was it ultimately a, a relief in some way to leave in 2019? Yeah, it was. It, you know, I think my last year there, the year there was was quite difficult for me personally. It, the, the companies, Jagger and Land River, weren't doing so well. Tensions were building. Um, the culture was getting a little bit more difficult. And I'd, I'll be honest with you, I'd run out of steam. Mm. You know, you spend, you know, it, it's, it's a marathon, but it's a marathon at sprint pace. And and you eventually, you kind of run out of energy and steam and you think, well, and I just thought to myself, I've done what I wanted to do. I got to, I actually got to XG, which was the next, next sure. one, sadly never see. But, but, you know, I was, I was pleased with my lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was time to move on. And also recognize the fact that I was probably getting a little bit behind the curve on some of my thoughts and ideas. Wow. Interesting. So we'll never see it, but what can you tell me about the XJ that never was? Well, it was a big car. It was bigger than today. It was sitting, the size of it sat between our, the previous long and short wheelbases. So we had one model rather than two. Um, it had a lot more room inside it than, than today's car, which is something that the management almost demanded. Um, one of the sad things about the marketing element of cars is they'll tell you why a car doesn't sell. They'll never really get into why it does sell. <laughs> you know, I'll say, you'll say, well, we can't sell the XG in great numbers because the headroom's too small. Yeah, but you sell it in great numbers because it looks good. Oh, well, we don't have much evidence of that. <laughs> well, ask, you know, anyway, I won't go into that one. Um, so it was bigger, it was taller. It was a skateboard platform. It was all electric. It was quite a formidable-looking car, mm. actually. Um, Porsche Taycan, bigger sense of sense of, of form and shape. Yeah. Sure. So you left Jaguar behind, and these days it's Callum, um, your own automotive and product design consultancy. <laughs> and <I'm looking> mad. <laughs> Tell me about that. I mean, does it allow you to really flex your creative muscles? Is it? It must be in a totally different environment to Jaguar. Yeah, I want to get back to my TWR days where yeah. we small people and we just we were brave enough to go and do things. Of course, we have to rely on clients. So you're not you are bound by what other people want. Um, we did the Vanquish, uh, you know, as a as a study and really as a calling card to get us going. We got a bit of sponsorship behind that, and we're building cars now. There's been a few issues and on some of the politics and also um, uh, some of the supply, but we're building cars now. But I want to get on to the next level. So I'd like to do more cars. We've done a lot of products, um, some of which you can find on the website and furniture. And we've even done a bottle of whiskey, which has been a bit of fun. So a fairly eclectic mix of products. And that's something I want to get back to because that does that does get the, the grey cells moving again. You know, you think laterally rather than just the car world. And so, but I'm keen to get back into doing more cars again if we can find. And we got one or two things in plan, planned, but um, find the right clients and customers, and we'll get on with it. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 